want to welcome you today to the last week of our Losing My Religion message series as we talk about dealing with discouragement. And so I thought since we're dealing with this subject, I'd share a couple of discouraging pieces of information with you known as the Murphy's Laws. Maybe you've heard of these before, created by a guy named Edward Murphy, who was an aerospace engineer. He lived from 1912 to 1990. Listen to what he says. This is his view on life, very pessimistic. He says this, if anything in your life can go wrong, it will go wrong. I think about this last Friday, we were having a family day, and we had planned and packed a lunch to go up to San Francisco, beautiful, sunny day. We went to Chrissy Field, which is right by the Golden Gate Bridge, and you could not have asked for better weather, but we get up there with our lunch, and we're going to have a picnic, and the field where we're going to have a picnic is completely muddy. Then we find a, a dry spot to sit down, and then every bird in San Francisco, it seems like, thought we had personally invited them to join us for lunch. So sometimes if anything can go wrong, even if you cross your T's and dot your I's, it will find a way to go wrong. Second one is this. If there's a possibility that several things can go wrong, the one that will cause the most damage is the one that will go wrong. Like if you're on your way to work in the morning and you could run out of gas you can get stuck in traffic or you can get a flat tire. You're going to get the flat tire because the worst thing that could happen will happen. Another thing is this. If anything just cannot go wrong, like if you've gotten ready the night before church, you set your alarm clock, you prep breakfast before the day, you got your kids' clothes ready, and you are ready to rock and roll at South Bay Church on Sunday morning, when you wake up in the morning, you find out that the alarm clock didn't go off. Your kid spills yogurt on their shirt. You get in a fight on the way to church. You know, if anything can go wrong, it should not go wrong. It will. Anyway, I like this last one. If everything seems to be going well for you, like it seems like life is good. You're on a beach in Maui just enjoying life. You have obviously overlooked something. Now, there is some humor in this. And here's a great guy that you would want to be an aerospace engineer, but probably not the guy you want to hang out with on Friday afternoon or Friday evening. And I think that for many of us, there is this cynical nature that develops in us in life because life doesn't always happen the way we want it to, especially if you're the kind of person that's trying to make progress in any area of your life, whether it's your finances, you're trying to save more than you spend, physical fitness, you're trying to get in shape, marriage, you're trying to invest in the relationship with your spouse or your children, and you're trying to train them and love them to grow up, to change the world, maybe for you with dating, and, and you want to be pure, and you want to live in such a way that you would honor God and find that right spouse. Life has a, a way of sending setbacks our direction when we're trying to make progress. That week you decide you're going to invest in your marriage is the week that everything comes out that has been stored in the closet for years about your spouse and now there's this whole new problem you have to unravel. Your kid, you're going to invest in the life of your kid and that week your kid gets called down to the principal's office. You're going to be early for work and all of a sudden there's this new traffic jam that you'd never anticipated before. Beginning of the year, I'd written all these goals out like physical fitness goals and savings goals. I am not kidding you when I say the first week of January on Monday morning, I went out to my car 2012, put the key in the ignition, turned the ignition and the car did what? Didn't start. A few hundred dollars later, I'm back on the road. Next morning, I wake up. I started my new workout routine. I'd worked out Monday 
I wake up just so sick, I can't get out of bed for like a week, and I'm back where I had started, two steps forward, one step back. Maybe even sometimes life feels like one step forward, two steps back. Now that I got everybody discouraged and despairing about life, we can build from here. What do I do with the, dis- the discouragement in life, the fact that life doesn't happen at the rate that I hoped it would or the progress I was hoping for doesn't come my direction. Now, on top of all this, it's the holidays, right? So now during the holidays, you got to buy presents for people that you really don't like. You're going to eat a bunch of food that you, you know, you liked, but you wait that you don't really want, rack up credit card debt that you're going to spend until February trying to pay back, and then on top of that, there's memories of loved ones that have been lost throughout the year and people that we miss that we don't get to see. How do we deal with discouragement? Because if there's anything I've seen in my 31 years of life, which is a whole lot, if there's anything I've seen that discouragement is a part of the human experience, that all of us face it at times. How do we move forward in the face of discouragement? Now, there's one option for us. We could just throw in the towel, and we could just say, well, this is the way I am, and this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to eat what I want to eat. I'm going to spend what I want to spend. I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, there are going to be some consequences for that a few years later down the road, too, But a better option for us is to do what the Bible teaches us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, as we talk about facing our discouragement and finding the courage and strength that we need to continue to move forward, to do the things that God desires for us to do, to live the life that we all want to live. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, he's going to explain it by saying this. A man reaps what he sows. He who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. He's saying that there is a way that God has placed the world into order. The way that life flows, that you reap what you sow. If a farmer goes out, he throws some sunflower seeds into the ground, what's he going to get? Hopefully, he's going to get some sunflowers. He plants an apple tree into the ground, what's he going to get? He's going to get an apple tree that's going to grow and hopefully produce fruit and make some really yummy, delicious apples for apple pie. He's going to get the result of what he's sown. If he waters it and places it in the optimal circumstances, you reap what you sow. Life is like this, isn't it? In relationships, that if we live selfishly and we live with bitterness in our heart and we always are placing our goals and interests above the goals and interests of others, there's a consequence later in life. If you pursue your career over your family for 15, 20, 30 years, when your kids are grown up and they're in college, there are going to be some consequences for your choice, your choices. If you make a decision as a single to continue to, to, to just date anybody that comes your way and not choose to protect your purity, when the moment comes and you've met that right person, there are going to be some consequences to your choices. I understand this. I think that most of us get this, right? I mean, a student who doesn't study for a test and does not apply themselves, what's going to happen? 
their grades are going to be bad. Now, I always hoped that somehow I could reverse that in school. Those of you guys who are students in here, I would be like, my strategy for good grades is hope. I hope that somehow it's going to work out for me. And the answers that are going to be on the test are like that five minutes in class where I was awake. Anybody else like that when you were a student? I found out this last week, this is a total tangent, has nothing to do with my sermon. I found out that the average CEO of Fortune 500 companies had a 3.1 GPA in high school. And I was so excited because mine was like right below that. So anyways, had nothing to do with this message. But We reap what we sow. That's what I was trying to say. Now, I understand the negative side of reaping what I sow, that the consequence of a life lived in the wrong direction eventually catches up with you. You know what's harder for me, though? When I look at passages like this, it seems like sowing and reaping doesn't always really work the way I hope it would in life. That when I sow seeds of kindness or I sow seeds of generosity, or I remember when I first started being intentional with my marriage, or or when I was dating and I was trying to do my life right, or finances, but by golly, I mean, I think about people who go out and try to invest correctly in their finances, and the moment that they invest correctly, it's like it wasn't correct, and the stock market takes a dip. See, somehow life has this tendency that the fruitfulness that we hoped we would receive as a result of sowing those seeds in the right direction, it doesn't happen as quickly as we would hope it would happen. Now, confession, I'm a little bit impatient, so maybe this is more extreme for me, but I struggle with the fact that I sow, and sometimes it takes a lot longer than I had hoped it would take to reap the results that I believe that the Scripture teaches should come. That's why, in this particular passage of Scripture, the writer doesn't pause and end his thought, or doesn't end his thought at this moment. In fact, he continues his thought and listen to what he says as he goes on. He says, he who sows to please the spirit from that from the spirit will reap eternal life. And then he says, let us not become weary in doing good. For if we do not give up at the proper time, we will reap a harvest that if I will stay faithful in whatever area or component of my life that God has challenged me to be obedient and to trust him if I will continue to sow seeds and I will walk in the direction of faith, there will be a harvest, the Bible says, in my life. Now, how does that happen is the question. How does this actually play out in your life and my life? I was talking to our staff a couple weeks ago and I was sharing with them my battle with discouragement. That many times, like you see me on Sunday morning and I'm high energy, but I deal with this depression and discouragement. And sometimes on Saturdays, there's like this cloud that hangs over me. And then sometimes on Mondays after I've, I've like preached four times, I'm exhausted on Monday morning and it's like the worst time to make decisions. And I'm like not even sure if I'm a Christian anymore. And there's like all this stuff going through my head and I feel like the church is falling apart. And, and I deal with discouragement. I shared it with our staff and they were, they were shocked. But this is... This is reality for all of us who are human. So how do we apply this truth to our lives? I want to share with you from my journal, my struggle, my, my challenges with this subject of discouragement, how I found the strength to continue to persevere when life 
is not as I would hoped it would be. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I want to share with you that I, I realize I have to first identify what it is that is the source of discouragement in my life. And there are at times different sources of discouragement. I'm going to run through a list for me that I wrote in my journal that I noticed were the reasons I was getting discouraged. And I want to encourage you to write these down because maybe one of these will be your struggle with discouragement. The first one is this. I realize sometimes I get discouraged because I'm trying to force something God has not asked me to do. I'm doing something that Jesus in the scriptures has not asked me to do. This is the way it plays out with my type A personality. I have a certain number of verses of the Bible or chapters from the Bible I want to read that day, every single day. Certain number of minutes that I'm supposed to pray every single day. A certain number of books that I have a goal that I'm going to read every year. And then I find myself not accomplishing those goals that not God had put on me, that I had put on myself, and I get discouraged. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That word yoke is a word that was used to describe the teaching of religious leaders in Jesus' time. It was also what would be placed on the back of an animal as they would plow the fields. It was the yoke that was upon them. Jesus says, take my teaching, my yoke, Upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul in me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sometimes the easiest path out of discouragement for me is to analyze my life and say, What are the things that I'm doing right now that are not important to God that I can put down so that I don't have to continue to battle with discouragement with this? Now, let me give you two areas of life where you do not get an exception clause on this, okay? Number one is your marriage. Some of you guys are like, oh, he said, that's a great place I can throw in the towel right there. I married the wrong person. I got like our personalities clash. We don't get along. Whether or not you married the right person, when you made a covenant, that became the right decision. And now before God, you made a covenant. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are committed to this person to pursue health in that relationship. You don't get an exception clause on that one. The other one you don't get an exception clause is on parenting. I know for some of you, you're like, God, you messed up on this one. Can I send them back? Is there something I can do to put them back in your direction? I've had that thought before, not telling you which of my kids it was with, but I've thought it before. You know, God, somehow this is not right. And then we, we try to send it back, but I can't, I cannot give up on that commitment because it's a commitment that I made when I chose to have kids. And maybe you didn't choose to have kids, but if you are a parent biologically or adopted of a child, you don't get an exception clause on that one. You can't throw in the towel. That's God's will for you, God's plan for you to invest in that relationship. Other ones for me, this is great because this is like free counseling here today, um, is comparison. I find myself comparing uh, myself to other leaders, other churches. Maybe their church is bigger. Maybe they saw more people choose to follow Jesus that year. More people got baptized. And here's what I do. Maybe you do this too. I'll find myself looking at the highlight reel of somebody else's life and comparing it with the behind the scenes of my life. And that is one of the fastest paths to discouragement. And one of the quickest ways out is for me to gratefully consider all that God has blessed my life with. Comparison is a big one. Another one is this, trying to impress other people. 
You know, you, you put a shirt on or you do your hair a certain way or you say a certain thing and you're like, I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder what she's thinking. Does he like me? Does she like me? Are they impressed with me? And we can spend all this energy trying to impress people we don't even know. That, 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 like we don't even have a relationship with and we can be exhausted by that. And sometimes I find for myself, I have to put down this whole trying to impress other people because when I'm trying to impress, I can't even impact their lives and saying what matters is what God thinks of me, what my creator says about me from the scriptures, from the Bible. That's what is most important for my life. Another one for me is oftentimes I find myself taking a short view of life, that I'm looking at life day-to-day and week-to-week. And I remember when we started our church, we, we actually had like close to 200 people at our grand opening from our community. And then over the course of the few, next few weeks after we started our church in 2009, it was like, this was the tra- trajectory. Doom, 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 doom. And we're like 125 people and we're sitting in staff meeting thinking, if this is the trajectory, like four months from now, it's gonna be just the four of us. And that's not a good thing. There might be some fistfights that come out of this. This could be a really big problem. And I called one of my mentors, and he said to me, you're looking at it week to week, and what you need to do is look at it year to year. That sometimes you don't even know the progress that you're making until you get a year from now. Zoom out, and if you're so focused on the immediate, immediate results, short view of life, then you get discouraged because it doesn't happen as quickly. I'm like the guy, the farmer that sows a seed into the ground and is like yanking up on the sunflower plant saying, come on, grow, grow faster, 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 faster. And that short view of life can make us very discouraged. I think another one for me is overanalyzing problems. We were, a lot of my context for this is leadership. And so you apply it to your, your situations and circumstances at work. Maybe you have something that you're analyzing, trying to make a decision about. We were trying to decide if we were going to add a fourth service here at South Bay. And I talked to like 12 mentors, our staff, I had like 12 conversations with my wife, Stacy. And one night we're talking about it. And Stacy is like, how many more freaking conversations do you need to have? Just make a decision, Okay. And sometimes when I'm looking at a problem, I'll overanalyze it over and over and over and over and over again. I start to get discouraged and burdened. Another one for me is loneliness or at least the facade of loneliness, that I feel like I'm all alone, whatever my challenge or struggle is, and that can lead me into discouragement. A lack of wisdom when I'm making a decision, like I don't know the path, which is connected to that overanalyzing. Physically exhausted. Sometimes I I find the most discouraging moment for me is Monday morning when I have just exerted so much adrenaline. Uh, And then finally, the last one that I want to share, and I think that this is a huge source of discouragement for all of us, is when I start to take responsibility for outcomes that are not mine to control. That oftentimes in life, whether it's parenting, whether it's a relationship with a spouse or your place of work, or your finances, that we take responsibility for outcomes that we don't get to control. We can influence them. We can sow the seeds. We can water the seeds. But if I'm trying so hard like the farmer pulling up, this is not my responsibility to make this thing grow. It's my responsibility to water it and trust that God will faithfully bring to fruition what his word says, that he will bring a harvest in my life if I will sow seeds and not give up. Now that you think I'm really sick and dysfunctional and really, really messed up, at least we can be honest at church and identify that all of us are in process. And none of us have our lives where we want our lives to be. And so if I, 
if I were just to say, it's, I got it all figured out, then, man, that makes so much more discouragement for you in your life. What is the one area of those sources of discouragement that you're like, I, I grab onto that, that's me, and then begin to, in the remaining time that we have, to filter what I'm going to say through the lens of that discouragement. And the second thing I've noticed in my life is that I must, in addition to going through this process of identifying the discouragement, I must practice selective hearing in my life. Practice selective hearing. I thought about this a couple of months ago. In our, our neighborhood, we have what we believe, my wife and I, is a dog who is from hell. It's like a demon-possessed dog, okay? Here's why. Because the dog doesn't bark at all, all week long, except for like Saturday night at 9 o'clock when I'm trying to fall asleep to get ready for Sunday mornings. And it's like one of those little yappy dogs. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, and you just want to go out and like clip its vocal cords, you know? I'm like laying there in bed. Is there like a knife around here that I can go out and clip the vocal cords? And... One morning, I woke up after being in bed for the evening, and I came downstairs to, the, to our living room, and I took out earplugs out of my ears that I had put in so I didn't have to hear that yappy dog, and then I put headphones in my ears to listen to music because everybody else in my house was asleep. And I thought, this is a great illustration for life. That in life, there are things that we don't want to get stuck in our minds, that thoughts at times can be like this broken record that play over and over and over and over again. And our thoughts are like a train that lead us to a destination. And if we're always feeding our mind with discouraging thoughts, then we're going to be discouraged in our life. So it's like putting earplugs in to say that this is not a thought that I'm going to meditate on, that I'm going to think about over and over again. Comparison with other people, trying to impress others, looking so much at the short view of life that I'm not going to let this get stuck in my mind. It's like I'm going to put an earplug in. And then on the other side, I'm going to put headphones in to let the truth come into my mind to be reminded of what the Bible says, or maybe even for the first time, understand what it is that God says about me. In fact, maybe you don't even have a Bible, but you can pick one up in our resource center today. In the back of most of the Bibles in our resource center, there's a place that is called the concordance. And there are all these words in here like peace and joy and love and hope. And sometimes when I am in the middle of a situation, as many times as I've read through the Bible and I know the Bible, I'll forget it and I need to go back to the back of the Bible and say, okay, what does the Bible say about hope? What does the Bible say about peace? What does the Bible say about anxiety? And I'll get those verses from the Bible and I will fill my mind with that truth to give me the courage and the confidence and the strength that I need to face whatever problem it is that I'm going through in my life at the time. My son, Cademan, who is six years old, we were um, hanging out in our kitchen a couple weeks ago. My dad was in town, and my, uh, my two boys were doing this Lego set. And my younger son, Sammy, who, you know, I have a little bit more compassion for the older child because, like, I'm the oldest child, right? So you always see the younger child, they'll do things and they know how to, like, prod the older child and get out of the way so the older child gets caught, right? If you're the youngest child, you're saying that never happens. If you're the oldest child, you're like, I know exactly what you're talking about. So, Sammy, my youngest son, starts calling Cademan a scallywag. Now, I have no idea what a scallywag is. 
You could call me a scallywag all day long, and I wouldn't care. But my son, Cayman, who's six years old, runs upstairs into his bedroom and starts whining and crying. And I'm like, what in the world just happened? So I walk upstairs and talk about this. And I said, Cayman, what's going on? And he said, Sammy called me a scallywag. And I'm like, what's a scallywag? He's like, a scallywag's a bad pirate. And I'm not a bad pirate. I'm like, okay, well, tell me what your daddy says about you. My daddy loves me. My daddy believes in me. My daddy believes that I'm brilliant, that I've been created to lead and make a difference in this world. My daddy, my daddy is for me. My daddy is on my team. Well, Cademan, you go back downstairs and you tell him what your daddy says about you and that you are not a scallywag. You know you're not a scallywag. You're not a bad pirate. But this is what you are. And sometimes in our lives, we get so much negativity fed into us from coworkers, from friends, from family members. And you've got to put that earplug in and insert and fill your mind with truth. There are things that the Bible says that are so helpful for me. The Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who follow Christ Jesus. That means that all of my wrongdoings and sins are canceled when I place my faith in him because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The Bible says that as far as the east is from the west is how far he has removed the sins and wrongdoings of those who place their faith in him. The Bible says that when we choose to follow Jesus, that our sins he will remember no more, the Father, the Heavenly Father, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on a cross on our behalf. The Bible tells me that if I'm a follower of Jesus, I am chosen and adopted as his son, that before the creation of the world, he loved me, that he knit me together in my mother's womb, that he knew my days before I came into existence, that he knows every single hair that is on my head. And if I am down and I'm discouraged and I can just take that truth and fill my mind with it, it gives me the confidence to begin to do number three, which we're going to talk about, and that's to walk in the direction of faith. I identify the source of discouragement. I practice selective hearing. And then I begin to walk in the direction of faith in whatever area of your life that you currently are facing discouragement. That there is a gap. And when you realize there's a gap between the sowing and reaping and you can continue to sow those seeds of faithfulness and obedience, there will be a moment where God faithfully will produce a harvest in your life. And maybe even it's not on this side of eternity, but for all eternity, he is a God of love and mercy and justice and will reward those who have faithfully obeyed him and served him and followed him. And today what it is that God wants to say to you is some of you are in that gap. You're in between the sowing and the reaping in some area, some component of your life. And God is saying to you through the Bible today, do not give up. Do not throw in the towel. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you've been walking through struggles and you've been, you've been depressed and down and you're hanging by a thread and you feel like it's over and you're ready to quit and God is saying, hold on just a little bit longer. Take her out on a date. Apologize when you were wrong. Ask for forgiveness. Put her goals and interests above yours. 
Some of you singles in the room, you've been working so hard to honor God with your purity, to find that right spouse. And you've, been, you've just been trying everything you know how to do to protect yourself for that moment where you will tie the knot and put the ring on your finger. And God is saying to you, don't give up. If you continue faithfully, I will bless you. There is a person that I will give to you that will be your spouse. Do not give up. Do not throw in the towel. Some of you parents in the room, this is your moment that you want to give up on that kid. I've been there before. And all the things that you've heard and the training and the discipline, it's not working. But God is saying, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your physical fitness. Maybe it's a friendship with somebody. Maybe it's a person in your life that you've been investing in and you're a follower of Jesus and you're sharing God's love with them and you're ready to quit. You're ready to stop praying for them. You're ready to throw in the towel. But that one invitation card that you have in your program could be the difference that if you would walk across the room or walk across your neighborhood or call somebody in your family and say, will you come to Christmas service with me? That that could be the difference that after your investment in loving them, that would lead them to take that step and God to use you to eternally change their lives. That he is saying, do not give up today. Do not throw in the towel. And sometimes when I'm in these moments where I feel like giving up and I'm moving in the direction of faith, the step for me in moving in the direction of faith is just to switch the way that I'm sowing seeds or the way that I'm walking in order to help me continue to move faithfully. You have an area of your life where you know God wants you to move or to obey him, but you feel stuck. It might mean to start going to a different date spot with your spouse. It might mean singles to stop going to the bar to find guys and girls like every drunk person you met. It just did not go right with them. Church is a great place. South Bay's life groups, single life groups. I always find guys that like are looking for a wife at South Bay and they're kind of like, can I really look for a wife at church? It feels so bad. I'm like, what's the better option? The bar? Come on. Maybe there are not many single people in the room today, so nobody thought that was too funny. But you, you get the idea. Sometimes when you're reading the Bible and you, you feel stuck, it's like read in a different place, find a different version, listen to, a different, uh, uh, um, listen to some different songs, a different set of music, and you switch it up. And sometimes just that switch will provide the freshness and the catalyst for you to keep moving forward in faith. Do not give up during the times where it's easy to throw in the towel because if you do not give up, you will reap a harvest. You know, I think that when I look back on my journey, there are so many moments when I felt like I just needed to throw in the towel. I remember in high school, God deposited the dream in my heart for a church for people who had never experienced his love before. And I remember sitting in this like really traditional church with the organ, which is the worst instrument in the history of the world. And it was like, stand up, sit down. And I remember being embarrassed to take my friends to church. And I said a prayer. I said, God, if you'd ever use me to reach people like the guys on my football team that cuss every other word and smoke pot all weekend long, or if you'd ever use me to reach people like my neighbors who... who are ordinary people who have never experienced your love. I, I want to do that. And I went from there to grad school. And when I was in grad school, my wife Stacy and I started a church on a university's campus. 
And it didn't go the way that I had hoped. I felt like we hit our head against the wall over and over and over and over again. And I knew that God had placed this dream of South Bay Church in my heart that one day we would move to a major metropolitan area and give our lives to sharing the message of Jesus and God's love with as many people as possible. And I would be in these dark moments when we were in Texas for five years and I was going to grad school and we'd started this church and it wasn't growing and it wasn't moving the way that I'd hoped it was and would and we weren't seeing as many changed lives as I hoped we would. And I was so ready. I was like, God, like I'm done. I'm ready to quit this thing. And I remember so many moments I would pick up my, my iPod and I would put on some worship music and I'd throw on my sneakers and I would run outside and I would just pound the pavement. And I'd say, God, I believe you put this dream in my heart. I know you put it there. And I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to pursue it. And I'm going to do whatever I can to trust you and to honor you. I'm not giving up. I'm not throwing in the towel. And when I look and I see how God has changed so many lives, I'm so glad that God gave me the strength and the courage in that dark season of life to not give up. I think about seasons of my marriage, seasons of parenting. One of them I'm in right now that I'm like, do not give up. And God will give you the strength you need. And could you imagine, friends, if every single one of us were to not give up in that area of our lives where we're hanging by a thread today, the difference that it would mean, it would mean the salvation of marriages. It would mean men overcoming pornography and addictions in their lives. It would mean people stepping out of greed into generosity and some folks that are living lives for themselves, relinquishing control to God and to love and to serve others. There is no limit to what God can do with a life and a person that says to him, God, I will persevere trusting that you will give me the strength and the power that I need to not give up. Do not give up. That's what he's saying to you today. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you didn't 